welcome to the Back in Business podcast with her, Liz Barkley, the eternal optimist and light of my life, and me, the cynical Mickey Clark. <laughs> oh, but you are the reason for my existence, dearest. Uh, however, I, I have to, I've got a bone to pick with you. You wrote a very depressing blog about the US recession this week. Uh, you know, was that cynical? Was that pessimistic? Or do you think that given the job losses we've seen this week, we are heading down that very same rabbit hole. It's, it's factual. Um, you know, we've said it before that if you have a, a, a big staff, a lot of people employed, that is a natural resource, just as steel or, or minerals are for another business. And if you want to cut costs, the easiest and the first thing you cut are your staff levels. And businesses don't really know what they face. I think we'll learn more about this today. Um, if they don't know what they're going to face or when they're coming back on stream, you cut your costs now. And that's what we're seeing. And because we're seeing the big companies cut the costs. Um, you know, we, we, what we had in, in the past week, Shell, Centrica, Johnson, Matthew, British Airways, all coming out with big job losses. But bear in mind that the bulk of people employed in the UK are employed by small businesses. And it will be what they do, which really does, you know, make it count. And I absolutely agree with that, which is why we're constantly banging on about small businesses, people who are self-employed. But we have seen some eye-wateringly dreadful GDP figures this morning. It I think you've got 20.4%. Yeah, I think you've got to forget about them. Someone out there is earning a great deal of money for stating the blind and obvious. The real question now is how long is it going to take to bounce back and when will it bounce back? And until we know what the government's planning for our businesses and when they can come back, then you, you can't make those calculations. It's nonsense. It's a bit like saying, um, you know, we need a deal. Well, if you can't agree a deal, you don't get one. It's, it's a bit like Brexit all over again, telling the government what it should be doing, but doing it is a different matter altogether. You see, that's what I love about you because, you know, you just go against the grain all the time and you just tell it how it is. So are you saying that we can't say yet that we've hit rock bottom because I want to start talking up the recovery. Well, I, I don't think the recovery is going to be that bad. I mean, the Bank of England's already said it's the, you know, probably be by the end of next year. And I don't see anything, any reason not to do that. You've turned all the taps off in the economy and you wonder why you've lost 20% of it in one go. Duh. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's natural. It's going to happen. Businesses are going to come back on stream. When I see the pubs reopen, then I know we're on the recovery track. But until oh, then... please, you know, please. <laughs> I just want to sit in a garden with a pint of cider. And look up Declan. at the planes flying over, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Declan Curry, our business editor, is here. Declan, it has been a bit difficult to stay optimistic even for me, reading the news this week, because um, we've talked about nothing but job losses. And aviation, that we're going to talk about in a minute, has really been pummeled. Yeah, and the big problem with aviation is quarantine. They hate it. They loathe it. They say that it's a bunch of stupid, idiotic rules that's going to hammer jobs, not just for the airlines and the aviation industry, but in tourism and in the broader economy as well. So Ryanair, BA and EasyJet have launched uh, legal action against the government this morning. Who would ever have thought 
that you would have had British Airways and Ryanair agreeing on anything or being on the same side in any argument. Then we have these uh, the growth figures, the most severe slump in the economy in peacetime in living memory. I would suggest the key question actually is are now how strong is the recovery going to be and how long will the recovery take? We are seeing business reopening gradually. The shops are opening in Northern Ireland today. They'll start opening across England on Monday. Building sites and factories are working again. But it's slow recovery and it looks like it might be a lot slower than some of the forecasters had initially hoped. And the big danger is that if the recovery is too slow and the furlough scheme is wound up before recovery kicks in, then we're going to see a big jump in unemployment at the end of this year. Two other trends from the week. Coronavirus seems to be accelerating our evolution into a more digital economy. More people working from home, more people using cloud computing, more shopping online, more ordering food for delivery on an app instead of eating out. We've seen the high-tech Nasdaq hit record highs three times this week. And there are billions flying around in the food delivery business. Just Eat had a 15 billion pound merger with Grubhub this week. That's because they are all uh, betting on a digital future. And we're seeing old companies that have lost their way retrenching in the face of competition from smaller, newer, more nimble rivals. Centrica trades as British Gas cutting 5,000 jobs this week. But it might surprise you to know that the second biggest energy company in Britain is a company called Ovo, which only started a decade ago. That's what's putting the pressure on the likes of Centrica. It's not coronavirus. It's just stodginess. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put it to you, Declan, as a sign of optimism to a certain extent. All those companies, big companies that have announced big job losses in the past week, 10 days, all of them have underlying fundamental issues. Um, this isn't just about coronavirus. Before it was about Brexit. Oh, we can't import cars into this country now because of Brexit. The fact was no one was buying cars because of a completely different issue. So companies are using these excuses to, to justify the actions they're taking. Yeah, look at restaurants. Uh, 125 Frankie and Benny's to close, 3,000 jobs under uh, uh, to go. I'm sure the 3,000 people who work there worked really, really hard and were committed. But restaurants on the high street have been declining for years. The money is going into food delivery apps. It's just, it's a technological transformation. Same in retail. They kept up. But Declan, is this therefore, am I right in thinking that we're just going much faster to where we were going to get to, if you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it sped everything up. Uh, well, let's see. Some might say it's the straw that's broke the camel's just... back, but I'm not that gloomy. I think Declan's <laughs> right. A lot of it is due to technology. It's going to be the way we come out of this pandemic, how we live our lives, how we shop, what cars we drive, where we fly to, do we fly anywhere at all? It's those sort of questions that have got to be posed, and it's the consumer that's going to answer them. Mickey, well, that I... camel's had a bad back for a long time. I oh, know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to get you all round the table. As it is, we've got you all round Zoom, so at least we can see each other. But it is really interesting because I think at the end of the day, the consumer is going to have to decide quite a lot of this and how the consumer wants to behave and what risk the consumer is prepared to take. Um, and hopefully we'll talk about that. But let's talk about flying. Um, we can't do it at the minute. 
Mm. All we can no. do is talk about it. <laughs> Sue, Sue Wilson uh, owns, owns her own company, VI, Air VIP Concierge. Uh, Sue, I think I'm right in thinking that you started this up. You were running an exclusive customer service business for VIP clients and you started up in October. Yes. What exactly do you do? Yeah. Um, well, I was doing um, um, a meet and greet, ser- a bespoke meet and greet service for um, passengers flying either on commercial or private aviation. Um, pe- businessmen that want to get through, or business people, not men, that want to get through the terminals quicker. Um, and I could offer that service, so I could offer a curbside to um, to the steps of the aircraft um, service um, in the commercial on the commercial side of it. Uh, with private aviation, which is something that I've worked in for many years, um, I was looking after, uh, again, business people travelling, uh, bands, which was primarily my income, uh, bands going on tour. Um, I have flown with them to make sure that when they get the other end, they get the service they're looking for um, and that they're looked after. Um, and it's something that I'm, my customer service is something I'm really passionate about and obviously the aviation business. Um, which came to a sudden halt. Um, the last flight I did was uh, with six young people flying off to Barbados to avoid coronavirus. Um, and lucky them, really, because they had the money to do it. You know, private jet, off they went. Uh, but um, it's, you know, it's now um, a totally different story because most of the bands that I was looking after have cancelled their tours, certainly for this year. Um, I did ha- I've had two requests during the pandemic, uh, which were cancelled, um, and they were flying in on the only airline that's working in and out of Luton at the moment. Um, I don't only work at Luton Airport, I work um, at any of the uh, the airports around London. So, yeah, I mean, that that's basically what I was doing. So it was a, a business that I started up in October off the back of um, the, the job that I'd had um, with a, a handling company. Um, and, you know, it was growing. And now I can say it's just like us all, you know, it's, it's been, it's now a decline. And I feel, you know, when will it start again? Because aviation, as we've just said, um, long term, I wish I had a crystal ball because I don't know when or where, um, you know, we will be uh, flying to. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically what I, what I do. Um, I do look after one, own, one or two owners that have their own aircraft. Again, they're not flying, you know, they've... Uh, they can't afford to go out and come back in and uh, have the 14-day quarantine. So I don't know what, what do you, the answer... Sorry. What do you take or what do you make of the quarantine rules? I think it came in too late, Lizzie, to be honest. Um, for us, you know, we didn't close our borders quick enough, but I feel now that it's going to have a massive impact on, uh, on the business because people aren't flying um, where they thought they could probably start flying a little bit sooner. Uh, people won't go into quarantine for 14 days. So, um, it, again, it's going to have a, a dreadful um, impact on the business. And as uh, as Mickey said, I think, or Declan, that, you know, it's the first time I think we've seen BA and Ryanair agree on anything, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think it's going to affect, uh, obviously, small small companies like myself, small businesses like myself, but obviously the, the bigger people, you know, they'll, they'll tumble much, much farther than I will. But even if you get the go-ahead to get your business up and running tomorrow and all the airlines suddenly started taking off from the major airports, 
your business model is going to have more hurdles than the Grand National. Absolutely. You know, you've got the tickets, you've yeah. got security, you've got passport, then you've got a medical check, and then you've got to decide if you're going to go into quarantine. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be all day getting through the barrier. Exactly. I mean, what, what normally would be like a, a, a two, three-hour job for me would actually probably be, you know, like a 12-hour job. Um, and, and that obviously isn't cost-effective to myself because I normally do two or three a day. So, I again, like you say, Mickey, it's going to take forever to get through. Um, and are people going to be that comfortable with flying at this moment in time? You know, I, I certainly wouldn't. I'm certainly not comfortable um, if I had to fly off somewhere, that, somewhere next week. Um, but I, I do feel that where commercial will suffer, I do feel that possibly uh, general aviation may may not be affected as badly because people that were, were flying or would have flown on BA first or a business or first class, um, there's not a lot of difference between travelling uh, or the cost for travelling in that way or travelling private jet. Um, so, you know, maybe that might be of an advantage to the to, to general aviation, but not for commercial. And I, I work with both. Um, Simon McVicker, our public affairs director, is here. Simon, from a, a political viewpoint, what's the score on the aviation front? Is the government gearing up to help the airlines keep them in the air? Uh not really. I think that the uh, relationship between the government and the aviation industry is not good. Um, the government have made it clear that um, that any talk of a bailout uh, is not on the cards until the airlines have exhausted all other uh, methods of raising money um, from their shareholders, etc. And I think this all goes back to the fact that at the time the, the airlines started to ask for money, EasyJet was giving a huge dividend payout to their shareholders, and that went down extremely badly with the government. But, I mean, it's not just that. I mean, the government very attuned to what the public is thinking. And, you know, uh, over two-thirds of the public do not agree with giving a bailout to the airlines. They do not think they are an essential service. They don't like the way they're treating their staff. Uh, and they don't like the way they've been treated in the past. And, and, then, and then there's the whole environmental issue where the airlines have really not stepped up to the plate in, in, in meeting the, um, the emissions targets. And if we go on like we are going to go on at the moment, airlines are going to do triple their emissions by 2050. And really, they're not making an effort to cut back. So there is a whole reason... Uh, group of reasons why government is not that keen to help the airline industry at this stage. There's also the legal reasons, Simon. If you remember last Friday, I think it was British Airways and Ryanair said they were pushing ahead with yeah. their, their uh, legal uh, yeah. action against the government yeah. over quarantine. That's um, right. And that's, that's going to sour relations. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it seems incredible that they're asking for money on one hand and then taking the government to court on the other. And, you know, um, I think this government does not like to be treated that way. Um, now, I think maybe as we go down the line a little bit, they may start helping out some airlines. I, I, you know, you're seeing it in the States, you're seeing it in Europe. But in Europe, those governments are taking stakes in those airlines. You know, they're going to sit on their boards. Are our governments going to do that? I don't know. But the, the airlines are not going to get it all their own way. So... What's your thinking? 
Um, I yeah, I agree here with Simon. I do think it's um, it's going to have an adverse effect because I don't think the government are going to uh, to bail them out um, anytime soon. Um, and I think it's going to be you know a long a long process um, before they can even consider um, getting back on their feet. And if so they where, do, where does that leave your business then? Because <laughs> you're very dependent on them getting back in the air. So are you thinking about changing retraining? <laughs> um, I I've always um, I've, I've got an open mind on this one. Um, although it, you know, I think again, predominantly, my business will go back um, to where it started with um, private aviation, um, and these are individuals that own their own aircraft. Um, that I have to say some of them, you know, have have been in and out before the quarantine um, process began. So I, 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 look, I do have one or two clients that, you know, I think will survive the p- pandemic. And what would, what's the one thing that you would like to see mm. to help you get back in business? Uh, I think to be, uh, I'd like to revert back to where we were. However, that's not going to happen. Um, there's no going back. Um, for me, um, I feel that if there was a, a, a vaccine, you know, that imminently, I think people would feel a lot happier to have that vaccine and be able to, to fly knowing that they were, you know, they were protected. Um, to me, that's the only way I feel that people, that my business will, will, will grow is that people will have, have a vaccine as and when. I mean, I know they're in second stages at the moment of, of trialing it and, you know how successful or when it will be successful but that is the one thing for me that would uh, that would possibly be the thing that would uh, would help my business um, we've all mentioned it simon um you've said it Declan said it mickey has said it this is about customers um and how they feel it's about confidence it's about being willing to take risks etc and with the shops opening again on monday do you think simon we're going to see the shoppers flooding back there are reports today that suggest not. Yes. yes. I mean, I, I've always thought that uh, there are two elements to this recovery. One, the government has a sensible plan, and two, confidence amongst the public. And yet yeah, you're right, there's an EY survey out this week, which actually shows that the British public aren't going to flood back to the shops. They're, in fact, really anxious about shopping and really anxious about uh, you know, trying on clothes in the shop, whatever. I mean, the, the, the figures here are 75% said they'd be uncomfortable going into the shops. Even 25% are saying they're, they're uncomfortable going into supermarkets. And, um, and 64% are saying that they're going to shop less frequently, but probably spend more money when they do. And as for the pubs, Mickey, well, three quarters are saying they won't go near the pubs. Uh, it's anytime soon. Anytime soon. They are terrified of the pubs. Yeah, and I, knew I, I, you were, I knew you were going to say that, Mickey. I almost could put the words in your mouth. More room for you. Yeah, more elbow room at the bar. I mean, <laughs> let, let, generally speaking, retail's got a big question mark over it anyway because of all the technology changes, because of all the criticism, rising costs. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in retail and was going on before. So many names have disappeared off uh, the market. Um, let's bring in one of our other guests, Amit. Amit's been sitting there very patiently. Um, morning <laughs> to you. Hi, Simon. Mickey. 
tell us about your, your 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 business. How does it run? What do you do? And what are your hopes for the future, basically? So we're a small convenience store um, based in a rural village. So we do kind of your everyday bits and bobs, ranging from fresh food, using magazines, um, food to go, frozen. So kind of, it's like a mini, all modern convenience stores are now like mini supermarkets in that sense. Um, that's and how I and have it. you offered anything new since the shutdown that, or lockdown that you didn't before? Have you had to adapt? So we've had small adaptions to our kind of product range. So focusing more on bulk packages and multi-packs because we've seen a stronger drive to I see people doing bigger shops, like you mentioned, and trying to find a bit more value in those in those product ranges. Um, I know that a man who's also with us, a man Opel, who runs uh, One Stop in Coventry, a man, you were the first to introduce social distancing into your store, I think, or just yeah, about hi, the first. Hi, Liz. Um, yes, we were quite early on to this, and as soon as the lockdown started, um, I was looking actually abroad. Um, I had chats with family in Italy who um, who don't run convenience stores but just generally asking them how day-to-day lives was and inquiring about how, how they were shopping and my uncle sent pictures over of lines and markings on the floor started looking more into it and we thought this is going to be commonplace so um, we, we got on board and thankfully uh, so the association of convenience stores Chris is with us they sent out some information quite quickly um, unfortunately we didn't see much from the government themselves or or other people within the industry so we were lucky that we were quite quick on this and then um, everything followed suit and we were all supported well and can um, you survive idea. going forward with that um i think as as it's the same it's coming the the new normal um we've all got used to it now within store uh, customers are, are are pretty much in in line with it now although with the easing of the lockdown we are seeing some people not taking as much care as they maybe were a month or two months ago. Um, the initial, the bad offenders, as we put it, was mainly the elderly who, who were one of the groups, the vulnerables that we were trying to protect. They were like, oh, no, no, we're okay. Um, but I think going forward, we may actually be keeping some of the measures in place ourselves, such as the screens um, on the counters, because it makes our staff feel safe as well. Um, so we have to review that going forward weekly and monthly, I think. What about business? I mean, you know, Amit, what impact has it had on the actual turnover, the profit, the the amount of business that's gone through your store? So we we saw quite a large uplift in the first few weeks of the whole panic buying um, situation, almost a doubling of turnover for almost two weeks. And we saw a steady drop to 70%. And then as the supermarkets have slowly rolled out more delivery services we've kind of stayed steady at 40 percent uplift um, and that's pretty much across the whole range so it kind of it shows us that a lot more people are shopping locally in my opinion we've seen a higher basket spend by uh, three pound so we're shop- about 12 pound average basket spend now and have you joined the the cashless society? Do you do you get old codgers like me coming in and saying, "Do you do you take Visa or Barclay card <laughs> or something like that?" And then Cash. hang about for Cash. five minutes trying to work out how to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, have your customers been good with that? Because not many people. I, I can't remember the last time I spent cash. Yeah. I should have said that six months ago. <laughs> S- similar to um, what we were talking about earlier with the kind of 
transition towards a digital economy. We've moved more towards a cashless economy with this um, COVID. We've seen a lot sharp decline in cash. I think we're only about we're 10, 90 now, um, cash to card, 10%, 90%. Aman, you've actually brought staff back, I think. How, how have you found getting your supplies? I mean, if there's an uplift and if you've got more staff coming in and you're selling more stuff, how easy has it been to keep the supply lines open? Um, it's been very challenging. Uh, on on the staff issue, uh, we've had a couple of good good stories that um, I could share. Is staff that previously worked for us who went on to pursue other careers um, actually came back, and I could immediately allow them to start. For me, it was a great benefit because they were already trained up. So we were very reluctant about taking on new staff if we can't actually train them on the systems, um, and obviously with the close contact and everything. So that's been great. Um, in terms of delivering the supply chain, it's been very challenging. Um, and has that impacted on your profit margin by the fact that you found it challenging, that have costs been going up? Yeah, so some costs have been going up. Um, thankfully, we're, we're part of One Stop, so it's franchise. They're part of the Tesco, Tesco and Booker group. So we've not seen as many increases in our own chain. We're going to wholesalers, which we've had to start doing a lot more now. I'm seeing weekly costs uh, rising and we can't always pass that on to the customer. We want to keep, retain our image and goodwill with the customer going forward. So we're very, uh, we're very cautious of this. Do the customers, do you think the customers are going to stick with you? Have they been more supportive and are they going to carry on being supportive? Yes, they've been very supportive within our local area. So just to add to, so um, my location of store is within the city of Coventry. We're very much um, like a residential area with, with a, a three schools within the area. So a bit of a different makeup to the rural location, Amit has. Uh, we're seeing a lot of extra passing customers from other stores because I think a lot of people are traveling from store to store. Um, we actually started receiving our busiest hours of the day was from 6 a.m. to 8, 8 a.m. So the first two hours, people on the way to work were coming and shopping when, when they were panic buying. So um, going forward, we've tried to make changes on the hours as well. Customers have been very supportive of that, and they're actually shopping within the times now. So, so our turnover has still stayed at a, a quite a good increase. Can I ask Chris Noyce, because uh, Chris is from the Association of Convenience Stores, Chris, I know that you know Aman and Ahmed. Um, are their stories what you're hearing across the board? Yeah, they are definitely. Um, I think there have been two stories actually from the from the lockdown, and and Amit and Aman's stories are typical of rural areas, suburban areas, residential areas in cities where the start of the lockdown, people were just having a massive panic and supermarket shelves were empty and they go right what's next and it's convenience stores so Aman and Amit and Amit and thousands of other retailers will have seen not just people that they see before the lockdown but they've seen lots of new people as well that are coming in for the first time and going right I need something I've never been in here before what have you got and then as this is as this has developed people have uh, are coming back and going actually the stuff in this convenience store is pretty good I'm gonna I'm gonna go back here and it's a bit less stressful than queuing for an hour outside a supermarket and having to dodge people with your trolley and all that sort of malarkey so there's been quite a strong retention of people going to their convenience stores the other side of that coin though is where you've got stores that are in city centers 
on high streets, where you've got stores that are near train stations, where you've got stores near bus stops, near big shopping centres, and they have been really hit hard. So those stores have gone from, I was talking to one retailer who has three stores in Southampton, um, and they're all near the locations that I mentioned, and two of them have had to shut, and one of them's just about keeping on, but is way, way down. So that's the other story, but that's probably about, i say one in ten of the stores in the UK are, are like that. But for the most part, there's been this, as Amit said and as Aman said, there's been this huge uptick in sales, which has you know, has carried on as, as lockdown has progressed. So people are getting a, a little less fussy about, you know, what shops they go to, what price they pay, as long as they get what they're after. How much has the customer profile of your average customer changed? And is it likely to remain changed after this pandemic's over? Well, I think previously we we sort of say we serve everyone. I mean, obviously we serve more vulnerable people, older people, people that aren't upwardly mobile, people that walk to the shop. So most of the people that shop in a convenience store tend to come from a, a pretty close radius from the shop. I think what this has seen is, is people coming from further away, as, as Aman said, people come on their way to and from work when they usually wouldn't stop. And I think those people will be retained. So for a lot of people now, actually, their local shop is whatever it is on their way to and from work, it might not be what's close to their home, but that's their local shop to them. And I think we'll see that all the way through. And, and the customer profile is, honestly, it's just everyone, whether you're young, old, whoever it is, people are are trusting their convenience stores more. And on prices, I mean, as, as Aman said, some of it is, you know, is unfortunately, it's, um, it's unavoidable because the wholesale prices have gone up. But by and large, stores are being, you know, still doing a, pretty good job in terms of just making sure prices are still competitive and uh, and people are you know are are able to trust what they're getting what do you make then of the argument that uh, the sunday trading laws should be changed in order to uh, get us and persuade us to come out more and spend more and and do you think that that is unfair competition for the smaller stores yeah, the Sunday trading arguments are, I'll be honest with you, are an absolute nonsense. So if you look at the last, the, the, the arguments for this are, are, are mad. So they said, right, 2012, we relaxed the restrictions and that had a great impact. If you look at the year before and the year after, sales were up higher then than they were in 2012. So that's straight away, a, a, you know, just completely wrong. So the, the relaxations in, 20, in 2012, no good at all. The idea that allowing shops to open longer, which one, increases their costs at a time of uncertainty and a time when people don't know whether they want to go show shopping at all, and at a time when people don't have magically more disposable income because those shops are open longer, how that's supposed to help the economy, I don't know. And then if you start talking to people who work in shops, the people who work in shops in large stores... As a union, our store represents hundreds of thousands of these people. 91% of those say, look, we don't want this. So I'm not sure who this is supposed to be helping. It's What it actually is, is, is one of these things that, and government looks at this a few times, and they, every time when it's got to a vote, it's been voted down. When government looks at this, what they actually they want to do is they want to try and find something that they say helps the economy, which involves them not putting their hands in their pockets. Well, I mean, the, what we the, actually need is, go on. On, I was going to say, Chris, this, the, the Sunday shopping laws are an antiquated law anyway. So what you're doing is just changing something that never really functions anyway. And they were only brought in 
so not to offend the church. You know, the, the churches didn't want shops to open on a Sunday, so people went to church. That, that's not the case anymore. And you just have to wonder why they have these rules in place. It's more to do with competition than anything else now. And, and are people really going to celebrate that and go out at three o'clock in the morning and, and do it? I know they do because of work, but I don't see that you're generating any more sales by altering the shopping hours. Yeah, you're right. So what we have at the moment is a, a compromise between small stores like Amits and Amans that can open on a Sunday if people need stuff, essentials. But the bigger stores are closed, but apart from in those that that six hours during the middle of the day. And that's a compromise that just works for everyone. And it's worked since this regulation came in 25 odd years ago. For the government now to say, we're going to upset that balance and to change that is very risky. So for what is unproven for large shops, and they a lot of them probably just won't open longer anyway. Most stores actually are opening for fewer hours because they want to give their staff a break and they want to make sure the shops are clean. To do that at a time when small shops will definitely be hurt by this, and like I said, people don't have more money. What they actually have is the same amount of money that they might spend elsewhere. So small shops are going to be hurt by this. Large shops might get you know, a little uptick, but the net loss is is going to be pretty bad for the sector. And it... I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know what Amit and, Amit and Aman think, but it's a bit of a slap in the face when you consider that the people who have kept these communities going, kept the food in people's fridges during this lockdown, are convenience stores because the supermarket shelves were stripped bare. To say to those people, oh, now we're going to hammer you on the last competitive leg up that you get is, it, yeah, it's really something. And I, I, I don't, think it's, uh, don't think it's a good idea at all. You might have guessed that. I think I uh, tweeted something very similar to that uh, during the week. Uh, Aman, what do you think? Um, I agree wholeheartedly with what Chris says. Um, it is some, some more like a slap in the face. Um, we've we've kept going. It's been increased stress, anxiety for ourselves, for customers, and and we've we've gone the extra mile uh, for myself personally. Within a mile and a half radius, I have three of the large multiple supermarkets. So that would impact us heavily. Um, at the moment, that small window of time between 4, uh, 4 p.m. and 10 p.m., those six hours are, are very crucial to trading. Um, and, and also, um, just, just to add, I get a lot of staff members that, who work for these multiple supermarkets who live within my area who have also shared their concerns and saying that they don't want to be forced to have to change their routines, and um, especially with the lockdown easing. They want to spend as much of this time with family rather than having to maybe work extra. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a, a, a typical consumer, but certainly I'm, I'm not too worried now about looking for wholesale value for, for choice. I've found that my shopping habits have changed. And I during the lockdown, I've been happy to support my local village store, the local farm shops, and I know I'm going to be paying more for it. But in the long run, I'm also helping the community, the local economy, um, and 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 you know spreading the largesse out, and hopefully it'll benefit anybody, everybody. Do, do you think that that's that's the case? I mean, you see more of that in your shops now that people are are coming there as much to support you as anything else. Yeah, well, the way I've always kind of seen the bigger picture is in every community or every area, it's all the small businesses that people use that help give net, you know, net, net job growth. And by, you know, supporting like your local farm shop, they can potentially hire somebody else within the village. 
because most people who work in convenience stores work within a, a small radius. So, you know, each local business is like a bit of lifeblood towards your village because the money doesn't float up to a, a slightly bigger corporation. It will stay local. Um, you know, we're looking to potentially take on uh, one or two new members of staff, which we can now uh, feasibly afford to do. So, you know, we've seen a, a huge support from our village and in some areas, we can now buy in bigger volume, which we've actually reduced prices in some areas in our fruit and vegetable in instance, because we can buy a bigger bulk, we can sell cheaper, and we're confident we're not going to get any wastage from it. So, you know, like Aman said, we've been very reflexive on pricing. And if we can offer a better um, price, we are looking to do that. Um, so, oh, you, sorry. oh, sorry. So go on. go on. I was going to say as well, using um, a small convenience store, I think you get a personal service as well. You know, if I was local to your store and mm -hmm. came, came in, which I do use a local, a local store to myself, um, I think it's that personal touch as well, which, you know, years ago, I'm probably talking on the same, same years as Mickey going back. Um, you know, we used the shop at the, you know, the, this one shop, I actually, as a, as a Saturday job, had a delivery bike and I used to deliver to, you know, orders. Um, and you, you had a personal, a personal sort of um, service, which I do believe that the small convenience shops did can it, offer. Did it have a basket on the front of the bike? It did. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, did. I, I remember them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting you, um, interesting you mentioned delivery, Sue, actually, because in, throughout this lockdown, there's been a massive spike in deliveries that are going out from convenience stores. Because, you know, you know, Ocado and Sainsbury's and Tesco, all their delivery websites just went to the wall and you were waiting six weeks to get a, a packet of ham. If, you're, if you've got a local convenience store, we've heard they are getting deliveries out the same day, which is, you know, phenomenal. So those people yeah. now are... are probably going to use delivery services in the local shops more often i think last time we checked there were six hundred thousand of these going out a week which is just you know just incredible considering yeah. this was not really a thing you know, a few weeks ago maybe yeah. i should get my bike out again <laughs> <laughs> we'll all we'll all get i'll ride on your crossbar <laughs> <laughs> it's a deal mickey <laughs> a man you wanted to say something sorry yeah, um, just adding to what Chris has mentioned, so we are actually one of those stores who never really thought about um, a full-fledged delivery service pre-coronavirus and of the lockdown. So um, we started off just delivering local groceries to local elderly and, and vulnerable people who would either call up, um, place their order, or manually write it down, pick it myself, and then either deliver it to them uh, with the help of... Um, family or even customers who have actually volunteered to say uh, we're willing to help you deliver the goods um, and then on the back of that um, at a technology showcase one of the events that the association of convenience stores do um, there was a company called snappy shopper they did a presentation i really liked what i saw so i had that in the back of my mind got in contact with them and we now as of last friday offer a full-fledged delivery service we have an app um, we have been um, keen to keep the same prices in store so we don't want to be seen as overcharging as what some apps and services have to put that extra mark up on it like the food operators and it's been steady there's been a lot of a um, lot of uh, people interested the orders are picking up day by day and a lot of people have mentioned on the bespoke service so uh, they said it's been a very friendly service so we're hoping to grow that going forward and it's something I would like to keep in my store 
um, after this period too. And Aman, that's such a really important point because it shows the difference between just waiting for a recovery to happen and actually helping create the recovery yourself by innovating and doing something different. Um, this We could have this conversation for the rest of the afternoon. Very, very quickly, Amit and Aman, um, what's the one thing that you would like to see the government do that would support you to grow your businesses once we're back in business? Um, I'd like to say um, the Sunday trading laws is, is definitely um, stay away from that one. That would be probably the biggest help. Um, in terms of away from the government, I'd just like to see people continue to shop local um, because once our main concern is the adjoining businesses that are on our trade-off shops. So we're actually their landlords. Um, so we've been affected in that way as well with the obviously the rental and they've been affected with their with their trade so we're very fearful at the moment for the adjoining businesses so we want to see people supporting them and continue that local thing going forward so similar to Oman on Sunday trading I, I think is valuable to every small business in our sector and the government offering a a real framework on on how to, uh, the, the government offering a, a real framework to business on how we can go forward in a post-COVID world. Well, thank you very much, Amit, Anand, Chris and Sue, uh, for being with us. It's a fascinating conversation. Um, Declan, Simon, anything else coming up this week that we should know about before we go? Uh, <laughs> um, I think that this week we'll, we'll be all looking at uh, whether people have gone back to the shops. The two-meter rule is now a red line in all, uh, political debate between the scientists and the politicians, and the government's in the middle of this debate, and that's going to be really, really interesting. Um, and, you know, are, is this R-rate going to stay down, or is it going to start sneaking up again? These are all things that are going to be really important. And for working parents, the big issue remains when are the schools going to reopen? And that's a big political dividing line as well. So lots going on, gentlemen, ladies. Well, yes, um, Mickey, you definitely need two metres. You're looking at my waistline again. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you? Oh, on that note, we... Put a, put a hula hoop around him. I have. You won't budge. <laughs> you see... You see, he can't reach me. You wait till after. <laughs> okay, thanks, Simon and Declan. Um, that's all from us for now. Just to say that the first of our new Q&A sessions with one of our resident experts will be on the website this week. Jenny Baish, the landlady of the Barley Mow Pub in Maidenhead, you may remember her from a few weeks ago, is talking to chartered accountant Alan Smith about how to manage if she can only have about a third to half the customers she used to have before lockdown. Sounds like my pub. Yeah, and lots of pubs thinking and worrying about the same thing. If you'd like to ask an expert, if you'd like to read our blogs, tell us your story, then email us at contactus at backinbusiness.org.uk. Visit the website, find us on LinkedIn, or we are on Twitter at business underscore backend. And next week, we'll be talking about hairdressers and the beauty industry services, Mickey, that you have more money I can save. See you then. <laughs>